Hey there, it's Debbie, and welcome to Playback Friday. Every Friday, I'll re-release one of my favorite conversations from the archives. Unless you're a longtime listener of the show, there's a good chance you haven't heard this one yet. And even if you have, you just may get something completely different listening to it this time around. You know, the one thing I always emphasize is empathy. I've always said when I hired teachers in the past, I said, I can teach you all the skills, but I can't teach you empathy. And if you you don't have the empathy, it's very difficult to teach one of these children. Welcome to the Tilt Parenting Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm talking with Dr. Michael Postma, a writer, consultant, and presenter specializing in the education and well-being of twice exceptional and intellectually gifted students and their families. Dr. Postma is the executive director of SENG, which stands for Supporting the Emotional Needs of the Gifted, an organization whose mission it is to empower families and communities to guide gifted and talented individuals to reach their goals intellectually, physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. He's also the author of the new book, The Inconvenient Student, Critical Issues in the Identification and Education of Twice Exceptional Students. Dr. Postma and I had an honest and personal conversation about the challenges facing gifted and 2E students, and this is one of those episodes that just might leave you feeling pensive, concerned, and ignited all at the same time. And if you're raising a gifted or 2E kid, I encourage you to check out all the resources and places for further information that Dr. Postma shares, especially those related to Sang. Before our conversation, I wanted to invite you to sign up for my Tilt Parenting newsletter. Every Thursday, I send out a short email, including a quick note from me, a link to that week's podcast and bonus after the show video, and links to five must-read articles from the news that week that are relevant to parents of differently wired kids. To sign up, just visit TiltParenting.com and fill in the form that says, Join the Tilt Revolution. I also wanted to give a shout out to Susan Windsor-Jones. Susan is the newest supporter of the podcast and her generous donation is helping me cover the production costs associated with making a weekly podcast. So thank you, Susan. And if you would like to join Susan, please consider supporting the podcast through Patreon. Patreon is a simple membership platform that allows people to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, to fund our show. If you want to help, visit patreon.com slash tiltparenting. Thanks so much, and now here's my conversation with Dr. Michael Postma. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really looking forward to having you on the show. A lot of the listeners of the Tilt Parenting Podcast have gifted children, and I know that you're the new executive director of SANG, so I'm thrilled to be able to bring you onto the show, and we have a lot to talk about today. So I would love to actually start by hearing about just your background. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and I'm always curious to know people's personal why for the work that they do in the world. Okay. I'll give you the uh, condensed version of this because it's a long story, but um, I I grew up in Canada, and back in the day, uh, we didn't have a lot of programming for gifted or for twice exceptional students, and I grew up with uh, ADD, um, some Asperger's, and got through school no problem um, because, as you know, gifted kids can camouflage quite easily. 
But part of the issue was the social and emotional development wasn't there. And that asynchronous piece uh, really affected me um, to a point where I struggled with depression for quite some time, um, even up through my adulthood. And it was then that when I started discovering exactly who I was, that I, I moved into the realm of gifted education because there was a lot being done at that time, but not a lot in terms of those that were a little bit different, that were uh, not your typical gifted achieving type student. And so that kind of motivated me to go th into the industry and get my master's degree in it and eventually did my doctoral work in uh, leadership and in critical pedagogy um, as related to gifted education. But that's kind of the background as to where I'm coming from. And then having my own children and realizing that they were not your typical GT children themselves um, really opened my eyes and really pushed me into that direction of, of writing and, and speaking. And, uh, and saying has a personal aspect in that it's that really hits that social emotional foundation which I think is actually the key to academic growth and uh, academic, you know, achieving that potential. Uh, we often ignore that piece in our schools, and it is detrimental that we only teach to the academic. We have to teach to the whole person. So that's a little bit of background. Um, obviously, it's much more complicated than that, but that is where we are right now. Well, I'm curious before we kind of move into your work today and, and your book, which I want to talk about, when you were growing up, I'm sure the term twice exceptional didn't exist. I mean, there probably wasn't much understanding about ADHD or Asperger's at the time. I'm just curious how you navigated that and how your own discovery happened about what was going on with you. That's a, actually a good question because you're right. Those weren't really available conditions uh, when we were growing up. I went to school in the 70s and high school in the 80s. And, uh, you know, we just adapted. We coped. Um, one, one of the things that saved me and I talk about in the book, having parachutes, having, uh, connections. And I had some, a couple of good friends that kind of stuck by me. But the other thing I had, which is fairly rare with two children is I was extremely athletic and that seemed to help me kind of navigate the, the social networking. I was never good at it. I'm not saying that, but it, it helped me be accepted. And at school, um, you know, I was really, really strong in some areas. I, you know, I, I really didn't have to do much homework, didn't have to study much. It would just come. So I managed to get through school. But um, the one area I really struggled with, especially with the ADDs um, and with typical with twice exceptional kids in general, is that slower processing speed, meaning it taking time to really recall all that information that's in the brain. And so I struggle with areas like math. I just couldn't quite get through math and having compensation skills. I was managed to get through, but I'm still not very strong with math today because of that. Um, but there wasn't really much in terms of accommodation or adaptation in terms of the school. You kind of were lumped in with the rest and you got through and, you know, they, they might have recognized some differences here and there. And I had some great teachers that helped along the way that, you know, really catered. Um, I especially remember a geography teacher in high school. His name was Mr. Meester. And he did a wonderful job of just adapting to who I was as a learner. And I, th I thrived in that class. I love that class. I still remember it today. And that, that helps you get through the day when you have, you know, at least a couple of high points. But again, you're right. We, don't, we didn't have any uh, available labels at the time. And 
there were many, many kids that struggled through, and, and I'm, I'm assuming, and well, I know, many that didn't quite make it through those times. So the fact that we have more research, we have more understanding, we have more uh, available tools is a good thing. Now we, the, the issue is we have to use them, and we have to use them in a proper manner. So, Well, on your website, you use the term holistic development. Could you just explain that in terms of how that relates to twice exceptional or atypical learners? What do you mean by that? Well, I, what I mean by that is um, you, you want to develop everything about the child, meaning with um, especially with twice exceptional students, they come with a different brain development pattern. And what I mean by that is um, generally with 2E children, they have high sensory input bands and high frontal lobe cortex development, but they have delayed limbic response. So the, the system, the limbic system, that system that is used to control executive functioning, um, to control emotions is delayed. And hence you get this asynchronous pattern of development. So you have this, this child that has a, a highly advanced brain, but no means to control that brain from an emotional standpoint. So when I talk about holistic development, I'm talking about also, and this I don't think this is just primarily reserved for gifted or twice exceptional kids. I think all our kids can use more social emotional development in terms of learning those executive functioning skills, learning how to manage themselves emotionally, learning how, you know, how to organize themselves, how to respond to different situations, how to communicate well, how to, um, you know, build good habits of mind. Those should be embedded within our, you know, our curriculum. Uh, we, we tend to teach to the brain. Uh, we tend to teach the head and we forget about the rest of the body. Um, so things like the arts programs and the, you know, things like phys ed and that are so important in terms of a holistic approach. And yet we, we continue to defund those areas in emphasizing sciences and maths. And, and there's nothing wrong with sciences and maths. I'm not saying that at all. But I, what I am saying is we have to look at the entire functionality of a person meaning we have to look at who they are, what they're good at, what they're not good at, and really challenge them in those areas of strength and help them understand their weaknesses. And for 2E kids especially, they're really that asynchronous piece can be pretty stark. And we see a lot of emotional and uh, meltdowns in classes because these kids are not, they, they're not developed in that area. And we have teachers that don't understand that this is not a behavioral thing. This is a brain function, a brain reaction to a certain event or pattern. Now, I can go into that in much more detail, but uh, there's a chapter in the book on, on the brain and how it develops that is much more detailed and really explains that piece. But again, the reason I, I'm working with Sang and have worked with Sang in the past or supported them in the past is the fact that they emphasize that social-emotional piece as one of the foundations for academic and intellectual potential. Yeah, my son, I have a son who just turned 13, and he's twice exceptional, uh, ADHD, Asperger's, and profoundly gifted. And I homeschool him now. But my experience in both the public and private school that catered to gifted kids was a real broad, you know, there were a couple great teachers who got it. But Broadly, there wasn't a lot of understanding of asynchronous development. And this wasn't so long ago. And I, I found that really perplexing, because it seems to be a, a hallmark, even not just of 2E kids, but gifted kids in general, a bit of that disconnect, especially with the processing speed, you know, that seems to be pretty typical. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. And do you see that as something that we're making progress in, in terms of helping people understand more that this is a fundamental part of who these kids are. 
I actually think we're making some progress in terms of gifted in general. I don't think we're making a lot of progress in twice exceptionality. Uh, and, and the reason for that is, is number one, if, if you go back to the root, when, when someone gets a degree in teaching, they go through a certain number of courses, you know, psychology, child development, all these different things, you know, teaching and learning. They rarely touch gifted education. In fact, when I went through, now this is a while ago, but I, I'm hearing from some you know, recent graduates that it's fairly typical that they receive maybe one course in gifted education or maybe one hour. I received one hour in my entire years of, of teacher's college. And that did not hardly touch any of the, you know, the main factors of it. Now, some states are moving towards, for instance, Ohio is now requiring 60 hours of gifted training in for their pre-service teachers and beyond as they move into the, the field. But that's pretty rare. And it behooves a teacher to actually get in and, and start understanding because you will have these in your classroom. These kids will be there. You have to work with them. You have to accommodate them. You need to understand them. And if you don't understand them, you're not going to reach them. And then with the twice exceptional, I, I just don't see a lot of educational literature. I'm, I mean, that's the wrong word. Educational programming that that is required for teachers to understand these, who these kids are, where they're coming from, how they learn, you know, what to do, what not to do, uh, those type of things. I just don't see that. Um, I don't even see uh, identification tools that are being used. And in, in many cases, identification tools that actually work, a.k.a. those that are done by licensed psychologists in the field of gifted or have, having gifted backgrounds are not being accepted by school districts um, in favor of their own internal testing, where usually you have assessments done by folks that don't understand who the child is and how they operate. Um, and again, you know, school districts can't afford intellectual assessments. And that's where you really have to go because you have to understand that these kids will score in a discrepant manner. They'll have highs, they'll have lows. And you have to look in and examine those highs and lows in, in correlation and see what is this comprised of? Where do I need to go with this when I'm seeing such a low versus such a high? That's what is required. And for a school to be able to handle a child like that, they need to further investigate into uh, who these children are and, and, and what they represent. Um, I can go on and on about this, but if teachers are not given the opportunity to learn, they're not given the opportunity to go out and really participate in workshops and trainings that really teach them who the children are and how to reach them, um, that pattern is going to stay the same. Um, we have three kids at home here. They're all teenagers now, but not a single one of them made it through school. And, it, you know, they made it up through into middle school. High school was very difficult. I have one that's homebound with high school right now. The other two are pursuing GEDs just because they couldn't make it in the system. And that's not always the school's fault either. Sometimes it's that sensory processing stuff that just kind of overwhelms them and they can't be in those type of environments. So um, I just believe there's a lot of work to be done in, in this area. Yeah, I had a guest on the show, Dr. Devin McEachran, who is in yes. New York. And yeah, she's fantastic. And she talked with us just about the diagnostic process for especially twice exceptional kids. And, you know, we had that conversation, like, what are the best school options for these kids? And, and it was it was pretty dismal, you know, and, and just even the number of schools that do accommodate twice exceptional kids are so few and far between. I am seeing more crop up every year, but she was explaining just even within those school systems, it's hard because the needs of the kids are so diverse, even within a 2 e school. Yeah, you have to individualize for every twice exceptional child. And that is part of the issue. 
there's not a, uh, a certain system or, or pattern that actually works consistently with them. So you have to individualize, and, and that becomes very expensive and, and time-consuming and staff-consuming. Um, so yes, I do see a lot of twice exceptional parents homeschooling, and that is okay because their needs are not being met in the, in the schools, and you have to look out for your child. We'll be right back after this quick break. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Yeah, Devin is very accurate on that. And she actually wrote a piece in my book. And so I thank her for that. But also, there are more options coming up, but I'm also seeing schools closing. Um, There was a great school in Orange County, the Reed School that just closed last uh, spring, I believe, because of funding. And uh, so there are schools out there, but there's also schools that are struggling because they're just not getting the funding. And and then there's another whole, you know, can of worms in there, whereas folks that need this type of school can't afford it. Right. So you have low-income families, you have families from 
uh, impoverished environments, inner cities, rural environments that just don't have access to these resources. And so who helps those children? Mm-hmm. And these are folks that can't afford to be home with their kids. So, you know, where do they end up? It's, it becomes a bit of a vicious cycle. So the onus once again falls on the school districts to be able to do some kind of accommodation. And as I say, and as I talk about in the book, it's it really isn't that difficult to make some accommodations and make, a, make the day a little bit more enjoyable for a twice exceptional child. It doesn't mean you have to do everything, but there are certain things you can do giving them extra time on tests, giving them uh, limbic breaks where they can just get out and, and just reconnect with themselves a little bit. Those little things, giving them leeway in the hallways where maybe they leave it two minutes early so they don't have to face the crowds, uh, especially at the high school, where that can be overwhelming. You know, little things like that can really assist our current twice exceptional kids to be able to navigate through this system. Um, and, and, and as a teacher, if, if I don't know a lot, maybe you have a colleague that does placement with different types of teachers that maybe have more training and understanding or, you know, the one thing I always emphasize is empathy. I've always said when I hired teachers in the past, I said, I can teach you all the skills, but I can't teach you empathy. And if you, if you don't have the empathy, it's very difficult to teach one of these children. It's so true. It's a great point. Well, you've mentioned your book a few times. I'd love you to talk a little bit more about it. You've written a book called The Inconvenient Student. Could you tell us why you wrote the book and who it's for and kind of what you hope it does in in the world? Well, I wrote it um, partly because we've struggled so so much with our own children. Um, our oldest is actually on her own in Minneapolis and doing quite well. Uh, almost a miracle, but uh, she made it. But our, our second, Sean, is uh, 19, going on 20, and he's not been in school since early ninth grade. He just, you know, he just couldn't do it. Um, Alex is 17, a senior, but struggles with incredible anxiety and stress and depression. Um, and Amanda's our artist who, again, hasn't been in school for a number of years at, at 16. And she speaks, she's a nonverbal who speaks through her art. Um, so how do you accommodate that in the classroom? So this is why it really motivated me to start writing. I've also been working with these kids for many, many years and just seeing the struggles that these kids and their and parents, you know, it really falls on the family as well. That extra stress um, when they come home and just have these meltdowns because, uh, you know, they tend to hold it in during the day and, and then becomes an issue at home. But uh, so partly for that and then partly for for the teachers. It is written with teachers in mind, and it's it really is an introductory book. It's it's not heavy details, but it's written so that you know the layman, the teacher with not a lot of training, can go in there and just take some hints and some strategies and get in the classroom and do a few things that might help. Um, but it is also written for parents. The first half is really developmental, and the second half is more education approach. And even back in the day when I was still uh, you know working in the field of gifted ed in a school system, I had teachers that really, that were gifted ed teachers that didn't quite understand the TUI child. So that's even more motivation that even within the gifted community, we have uh, misunderstandings and a need for more support. Well, yeah, when I saw the book and I saw the title, it just instantly resonated with me. And I'm sure so many of our listeners, they're like, yep, that's my kid, the inconvenient student. So thank you for writing it and putting it out there. The teacher education piece, that's what I think about a lot, too. Tilt parenting exists to support parents find more 
confidence and, and understanding in their journey. But, you know, down the road, I dream of working in schools as well and just helping with that teacher education piece because I know that teachers want to support the kids in their class. They just don't know how. They don't understand. And there is a big education piece missing there. Well, and I, and I think part of it is, is you know, we, we still run our schools in a bit of an old-fashioned style. It's still very agrarian in a, in a sense where they were pushing them through, you know, period after period after period and, you know, certain content, content, content heavy. Um, I think education in itself needs to be revitalized and, and revamped. We have tired teachers that are seeing so many kids per day that are getting very little time for planning. And, you know, they're not set up to be successful with these kind of kids. Um, so part of the onus is on our administration and on and the government in, in terms of really taking a look at how we teach our kids and maybe, uh, you know, ad- adjusting that to a point where we actually have more contact, individual contact, more holistic, like I talked about before, holistic development versus just, you know, we got to get through this curriculum. We've got to get through the curriculum. We call it the tyranny of the curriculum. And there's there's ways to get around that. Um, our whole, the culture of testing has taken over. And and that's, you know, all these things are, are pressure and anxiety points. Um, they're not good for teachers. They're not good for kids. They're not good for families. So I think we have we have some bigger uh, fish to fry overall. But again, the next book I'm, I'm hoping, if I have some time to plan, is more for parents. But in the meantime, I did write an article for parents called In Search of Shangri-La, which is kind of helping to guide them to look for programs for gifted N2E kids and what questions to ask and uh, what to look for, um, those kind of things. Having been in the system for many years, you know, getting the kind of the inside look. So I certainly would be willing to make that available if needed. Yeah, I would love to to be able to share that with our community. It sounds right up our alley. And I'd love to hear, we've talked about SANG as well. So for listeners who, who aren't familiar, SANG is the national organization's or is it international? It is international. Okay. Um, yes. And it stands for supporting the emotional needs of the gifted. So, and I know that in the past year, you've become the new executive director there. Can you talk a little bit about the organization's mandate and what you're hoping to do now that you're in charge? Um, the mandate, you know, the organization really represents um, looking at that holistic approach again supporting emotional, social needs of kids. And we see that as so valuable. The organization actually was founded by Dr. James Webb way back in the uh, 80s, late 80s, I believe, and it was based on a request from a family whose whose son had uh, committed suicide, who was highly gifted and just could not cope with that social, emotional intensity and the anxiety and, and, and the depression and all those different little pieces, you know, that sensory processing stuff that comes with being highly gifted. Um, I see it a lot with two kids as, as they generally tend to be highly gifted and it's par for the course. But so our mission is to really support families, support individuals, give them resources, provide them access to other gifted individuals so that they can find their way from a social and emotional perspective to, to you know, to actualize in a sense, um, because it's a difficult journey. Um, and if all you're doing is academics and ignoring that that piece, which uh, which we tend to do, you're not developing lifelong skills of, of just being wholly developed so that you can face challenges, so you can navigate through all life's pitfalls and, and successes and 
I, and I say successes because sometimes we have successes and we don't know how to handle them because we just don't have that emotional IQ in a sense. So that's what Sang is dedicated to is really supporting that development of, of social and emotional strengths in gifted individuals, gifted families, gifted communities, wherever they may be. And it's surprising to me that we still get phone calls from all over the world, places like Turkey and the Middle East and South Africa and, and Asia and Europe and wherever. Um, and we're hearing the same stories over and over, even with the, many of them are adults who just haven't, uh, you know, haven't figured it out. And, you know, they need help. They need support. So that is uh, that is the mission and goal of saying is to spread that. We do it through some coursework. We do offer webinars. Uh, our conference is actually well known for its connectivity, meaning I every time I go to the conference, I see a lot of crying parents. And the reason for that is they're they're just for the first time in their lives, they've connected with others like them. They've their kids have connected with others like them and they just feel a sense of community um, and giftedness can be isolating. Um, you add that to a piece, it can be very isolating. And often you don't know where to turn. And so that's what we are trying to do. Uh, we are a nonprofit. We are very small. And, you know, we do need the support of families and communities out there to keep going. But uh, we have been for three, 30 years now, 35 years, and we will continue to do so as long as we can. But, yeah, um, I would encourage the listeners to check us out and and if they can support in some way or another, that would be awesome because uh, I really believe in this mission. I believe it is so important because I believe we may be one of the only organizations out there that really supports that social-emotional part of, of the child, of the adult. And we, we tackle giftedness all the way from birth to elder. So we need to do a better job of doing more stuff for gifted adults, but um, that is kind of what we do. Yeah, I think... I, when I first launched Tilt, I got a lot of comments from listeners who were thanking me for including giftedness as one of the neuro differences that that we talk about here. And because I think that giftedness in in the mainstream, there's this idea that gifted, no problem. What do you have to you know complain about? And and I remember a parent coach that we worked with when my son was quite young, and she was the first one to say, "Well." Being highly gifted is a special need. And that was mind blowing to me. I had never considered that. So I think it's just, it's a nice reminder that it isn't just about accelerated learning. It's not just about pushing kids up. It's that these kids experience the world in a much more intense way. And they do need to be supported emotionally, mentally, the whole person, as you said. Yeah, this, it's a, uh, this is one of the most vulnerable populations out there. Um, they are affected by daily events. They're affected by daily news. I remember back in, uh, when you know 9-11 happened, uh, we were losing friends and communities that were just falling into deep depression and um, you know a term we call existential depression, meaning they don't quite understand the world around them. They, f- they realize they don't fit into the world around them. And that can be, that can be devastating. So if they don't have the social emotional support, if they don't have, you know, that that development of those type of social emotional habits that are going to help them navigate through the day, they can be lost. Um, there's a lot of work being done. I think uh, Dr. Tracy Cross over at William & Mary is doing a lot of work on suicide and depression with gifted individuals. And, uh, you know, the, the numbers aren't staggering, but the, the vulnerability is, is, is really out there. 
And there's so many struggles. We hear so many stories of, you know, folks just trying to cope with life. And in an age where, you know, these these anxieties are increasing in a measure, if you turn on the television, we have a lot of folks that we tell them, just turn off the television, don't watch the news. I mean, he almost can't anymore because it, it can affect them so deeply and so intensely. Um, and if they don't have the coping mechanisms, they're they're bound to do something that is not very positive. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I really appreciate you saying that, especially because in these times that we're living in, you know, we're talking about kids, a lot of our listeners, their kids are elementary, middle school age. And there is always that balance of wanting to protect them and also wanting them to kind of, as age appropriate, you know, let them know what's going on. But I do also agree that especially this population, these highly sensitive kids, that we need to be careful. Um, my son was super obsessed with politics. And he told me a few months ago, we were watching Seth Meyers uh, recaps of what's going on. And he said to me a few months ago, you know, what? I think I need to stop watching this. It's making me depressed. And so we just stopped talking about 
the daily grind and what's going on. And I was happy he recognized that. But I think it's an important message for parents to just be aware that our kids are feeling these things, maybe more intensely than we realize. Yeah, very much more intensely. And it, it does have effect. It does have damage. I talked I talk about sensory prints and how they build on the brain. It has been found that the sensory prints, uh, the intake of information through senses, is a larger band and gifted in especially twice exceptional kids than it is in regular students, but they don't have the mechanism to cope with it. So they're they're taking in information at a vast rate and, and that, that sensory piece is just it stays there. These memories implant themselves and they implant themselves, you know, in in a dense fashion. But again, without the coping mechanism to support it, they can really be an effect. And I'm not saying you ignore the news, you know, but the type of exposure, you can limit exposure and you can talk about the news uh, with family members, especially younger children. You know, they, you know, at certain ages, they don't need to know. But as they get older and develop, they will know. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are things you talk through and you talk about probability. You talk about, you know, the reality of, you know, for instance, this latest incident in Vegas. Um, it's very difficult to cope with um, as a highly intense person, especially a child. And the, I think the defense there is, you know, the probability of that actually happening is pretty low. It did happen. There may be another time it will happen again. But, you know, the probability of you being involved in that sort of thing is very low. Now, the other piece to it is they still have to understand and be able to cope with how the world operates. There's a high sense of justice. There's a high sense of empathy with gifted children. And that is another challenge in terms of helping them to cope with a world that sometimes is just not very fair. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I also just wanted to uh, make sure that listeners know that many communities have actually parent-led groups, correct? For saying, correct. I know that in one of Asher's schools, there was a parent group that, and it was, it was a course that parents could kind of go through. Is that something that if it's not available in a parent's school, they can connect with Sang and start their own group? How does that work? Yeah, we have facilitators across the country and even internationally. And what we generally like, if, if a parent is interested, they f- should first contract their local um, school and maybe see if they are their local gifted coordinator, see if there's anything available. If they don't have anything available, they can look at the uh, state site that may have some information. Because we, we run groups here and there, but it really depends on how many parents. They generally like to have a group of parents together rather than just a few. So, you know, getting out there and finding a number of, of like parents who are interested and then contacting saying, contact me, contact the office. And we have facilitators all over the place that we can alert and say, hey, there's a group forming in, let's say, uh, Buffalo, New York, for instance, that it would like to have be facilitated. Then we'll find someone that's close. If we don't have someone close, we're also doing facilitator training. So if someone wanted to be trained as a facilitator, we run those as well. So, yeah, we we do have access and resources there. Some places uh, we don't have a lot of access to more remote places that but we've also formulated something called Seng Connect. And the idea behind Seng Connect is that we can do these groups and alongside other support groups online through an online portal um, like Google, Google Hangouts or Google Classroom. And in those groups, we don't need to have, you know, folks all coming together in the same room, so to speak. Um, so we have actually groups going right now. We have adult support groups for 2E that I've, I've just kicked off last week. We've had homeschooling groups, um, 
got more groups coming up in January. And we're also encouraging folks to come on to Send Connect because there's a there's bulletin boards, there's resources. Uh, if someone wants to start a chat group, they can just go in and start a chat group saying, hey, I'm interested in dealing with perfectionism in my child. Anyone else want to meet with me? You know, set a time and a date. That's the intent of Send Connect is to really be able to connect folks all over the place uh, without having to actually organize a specific group. So we're trying to hit it in both ways, through the digital world and also through in person. And we're trying to reach more folks with that. That's fantastic. What a great resource. Again, listeners, I'll make sure you have links to all of this. And I highly recommend you check out the website. There's just so much great content on there. And then now I'm going to be signing up for some of these forums because I could use that uh, support myself. Yeah, um, there's, if they have questions, they can certainly email me at any time. Also, you know, we have membership options where if they come to, I mean, conference itself is just an amazing event. Um, and I wouldn't normally say I go to a lot of educational conferences and a lot of conferences I speak at. And there's just nothing quite like the same conference where you have so much access to the experts who are just like you down to earth and just the conversations and the camaraderie is just is incredible um our next conference is in san diego in uh, july 19th through 22nd and there's information about that probably coming up soon but it's it's just a great resource our biggest complaint last year was that the folks couldn't attend every session (laughs) and didn't have enough time to download you know because so much information was coming at them so again, I know I'm plugging my own organization, but <laughs> hey, that's part of why we had you on. It's a great organization, and I want our listeners to know about it. So plug plug away. <laughs> well, we're in membership campaign. We're in donor campaign. We need support. Um, again, we're small and we're trying to grow. We are a nonprofit, um, so you know it is a tax deductible donation if you're if you're interested. And we really would like to keep going, and we would really like to keep supporting uh, the cause for folks all over the world. We were actually just started, uh, we're going to start launching Sing Canada, Sing Europe, and hopefully you know, other organ, you know, affiliate organizations. And we just, we're on a mission to reach people everywhere. And, uh, and the more we reach, the more people we can help, I think the better. That is our standard of success for us, is how many folks we can reach and support. Well, that's great. Well, I'm currently living in the Netherlands, so I look forward to Sang Europe happening and watching Sang grow all over the world. So I had one last question. Do you have time for one last question? We're running a little long, but a lot of this has been kind of heavy, and that's the reality for a lot of us raising these fascinating children. Do you Mm -hmm. have any advice, maybe one word of advice for parents who are raising a complicated, gifted, twice exceptional kid on how they can best support or advocate for them, especially in a school setting. If they're not in a position where they can homeschool, they're not in a position where they can afford one of the the few private schools catering to kids like their child. I'm not sure I have one word. Uh, <laughs> that, that That's tough. But being the advocate, sometimes you might be the only advocate they have. So you have to know your kids. You have to understand them. You make sure that you have some sort of identification so that you really can understand who they are. Because you can't advocate for them if you don't know who they are, how they learn, what their strengths are, what their interests are. You know, what are their weaknesses? You know, too often we take a, a remedial approach to these kids and we hammer on the remedial approach when, quite honestly, they really need to, you need to work on their strengths first. It is through the strengths that you can build their weaknesses. And kids, if they're subjected to a more remedial approach, will get very frustrated, get angry, 
and despondent and you know they they either lash out or they become passive uh, and internalize and then I actually am more scared of kids internalizing than I am kids that are lashing out and uh, and for teachers you know start recognizing these traits and, and understanding so for parents I always you know be the advocate and see if you can find an ally find a, at least one ally in the school system that will is willing to listen willing to understand and support and eventually you can you can build that coalition hmm, that's great advice thank you well, listen, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. This has been super insightful. We haven't done a ton of episodes around this population, so I know it's going to be really well received. So thank you for sharing and good luck with uh, your work at SANG and your mandate. And, and we look forward to, to watching it grow. Well, thank you very much. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Dr. Postma's website, his new book, The Inconvenient Student, Sang, and all the other resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 86. And don't forget to check out my after the show short video where I share my top takeaways from my conversation with Dr. Postma. You'll find a link on the show notes page, or you can go straight to tiltparenting.com slash after the show. If you like what you heard on today's episode, I would be grateful if you could take just a minute to head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. And if you're looking for a little bit of extra emotional support, you might want to try my Differently Wired 7-Day Challenge. I'll send you a short video each day for one week aimed at helping you shift your experience one thought and action at a time. Sign up at tillparenting.com slash 7-Day. Thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.